The Hamlet Podcast, episode 176. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Conor Hanritty. Our last episode ended with the grimacing banter between Hamlet and Claudius over the odds that have been laid upon the upcoming fencing bout. As this scene proceeds, Shakespeare uses every possible interaction to continue building tension. Laertes is preparing and choosing his weapon. Presumably he knows exactly which one he wants, but he says, This is too heavy. Let me see another. Now, there are various ways he might play this. Perhaps he's trying to appear casual, or make a show of how random his choice of weapon has been. Or maybe he's actually nervous about it, and trying to prolong this time of preparation because he knows what's coming. Yet again, we have a contrast with Hamlet, who seems happy enough. He just says, Dislikes me well. These foils have all a length? Plain enough, Hamlet is happy with the sword that he has. Almost offhand, he asks if all the foils, or swords, are the same length. This, of course, might seem like a throwaway line, generous and free from all contriving, but bear in mind that, as we heard in Act 4, Scene 7, Claudius and Laertes are counting on Hamlet being so remiss that he will not peruse the foils. So for him now to show even this much interest could be a red flag. Yet more tension. What is the least suspicious possible way for Claudius and Laertes to answer this? In fact, it's Osric who answers. And again, how he responds will be determined by how involved he is in this plot. Does he get a nod from Claudius, or is he guileless enough to intervene and inadvertently get the conspirators out of this pickle? Either way, it's Osric who answers. I, my good lord. Yes, he's saying, the foils are all the same length. Since the two fighters now have chosen their weapons, Claudius makes a little speech to get things going. Of all the speeches in the play... This is one whose punctuation seems to generate the most commentary. Depending on whose edition you're reading, you might see bits of it in quotation marks or inverted commas, and with some very creative suggestions for what Claudius is actually saying. It starts off reasonably clearly, but it gets a bit muddy towards the end, depending where the end might be. Have a listen to the whole speech, and then we'll look a little more closely. Set me the stoops of wine upon that table. If Hamlet give the first or second hit, or quit in answer of the third exchange, let all the battlements their ordnance fire. The king shall drink to Hamlet's better health, and in the cup a union shall he throw, richer than that which four successive kings in Denmark's crown have worn. Give me the cups. And let the kettle to the trumpet speak, the trumpet to the cannoneer without, the cannons to the heavens, the heavens to earth. Now the king drinks to Hamlet. Come, begin, and you, the judges, bear a wary eye. Woven through the speech are various instructions to the gathered company who will be supervising the bout. First up, Claudius has arranged for a significant quantity of wine to be brought in. We've been hearing about how much he loves drinking since Act One, and now he's instructing the staff to put this scene's quantity of wine on the table. Set me the stoops of wine upon that table. Now he gives us yet another wager to follow in this Byzantine fencing match. He's telling us what will happen if Hamlet scores the first or second or third hit. 
Clodius is very determined to encourage Hamlet. If Hamlet succeeds in any way at all, there'll be great celebrations. If Hamlet give the first or second hit, or quit in answer of the third exchange, let all the battlements their ordnance fire. Here, quit means acquit himself well, or succeed, or score. I feel a little sheepish that I've spent the guts of four years knowing that this scene was coming, and yet it took me until today to research the rules and history of fencing. First up, fencing with foils is one of the three main disciplines of fencing as a sport, but Hamlet predates the evolution of the development of the sport we know today by about a century. What Hamlet and Laertes are doing is an earlier version, but the elegant rules and etiquette of contemporary fencing are not quite the same. It's a sport that has its own code and rules, and these are very easily applied to Hamlet for dramatic effect. At the heart of the sport, then as now, the goal is to touch your opponent with your sword, and to prevent your opponent from hitting you with theirs. Claudius is counting on Hamlet being rather useless at this sport. Certainly in comparison with Laertes, he's assuming that Hamlet hasn't a hope. Perhaps this is why he's saying that he will set off this big barrage of noise and cannons from the battlements if Hamlet scores the first, second or third hit. Seems terribly garrulous and enthusiastic, basically no matter what Hamlet does, if he can manage to do anything at all, there will be a celebration. For my money, Claudius has perhaps had some of that wine already. Now comes this tricky textual corner of it all. Depending on how your script is laid out on the page, Claudius now either describes his list of things he will do when Hamlet manages to score a point, or else he describes what he's actually doing. The king shall drink to Hamlet's better breath, and in the cup an union shall he throw, richer than that which four successive kings in Denmark's crown have worn. Give me the cups, and let the kettle to the trumpet speak, the trumpet to the cannoneer without, the cannons to the heavens, the heavens to earth. Now the king drinks to Hamlet. There are cogent arguments for either reading, but personally I think it's a little more compelling for Claudius to talk about what is immediately happening, rather than what might happen if and when Hamlet manages to score. Claudius says he will drink to Hamlet's better breath, his health, and announces that he will put a very precious pearl into the cup. A union is so called because it is a pearl of very unique quality, the kind of thing that would wind up being part of the crown jewels, as Claudius describes it, richer than the pearls in the crown worn by four successive kings of Denmark. Pretty special indeed. Now he gives another little command, asking for the cup into which he can put this pearl. Hereafter we get a description of the chain of command, in Claudius's head at least. Let the kettle drum speak to the trumpet, and the trumpet to those manning the cannons outside, and then let the cannons speak to the heavens, and the heavens resound and cry out to all the earth. Again, if we're looking for any evidence for Claudius being a little bit sourced, it does seem rather peculiar that his chain of command goes all the way to the heavens and then the heavens has to go back to earth. Might be something for an actor to play, but either way, it's an expansive list of all the ways and sounds that will cheer for Hamlet should he score. If Claudius is still describing what happens if Hamlet scores at all in your script, you might have quotation marks around what follows, because he's saying that if Hamlet scores, all of this will happen. He will raise a toast, put the pearl in the cup, and then send out this message from Kettledrum all the way to heaven, that the king now drinks to Hamlet. 
An alternative reading is that Claudius will be happy enough to send this instruction out to the canons when Hamlet scores, and in the meantime he calls for a cup to be handed to him, and he raises this glass to Hamlet, saying, Now the king drinks to Hamlet. He does so. Claudius told us earlier in the play that he was going to have a poisoned chalice ready for Hamlet on the off chance that Laertes didn't manage to scratch him with the poisoned sword. I'll have prepared him a chalice for the nonce, whereon but supping, if he by chance escape your venomed stuck, our purpose may hold there. What better way to disguise this murderous act than by slipping a fancy pearl soaked in poison into a cup of wine? Indeed, it's also a very handy way of identifying which cup has the poison in it. In a popular play by Thomas Kidd called Solomon and Persida, there's a reference to Cleopatra's union. She apparently was famous for dropping a pearl into a cup of wine as well. Perhaps this is a little nod to Thomas Kidd and his image of a luxurious monarch with a habit of dipping jewels into alcohol. Hereafter, this is the cup to watch, and we need to keep an eye on this cup of wine with the pearl in it. Another argument for the fact that Claudius should be doing what he says he's doing is that it's a perfect alibi. If he takes a drink now, right before he puts the pearl in the wine, everybody can assume that the wine is safe to drink. We've now arrived at the time for the fight, and Claudius says so. Come, begin. And you, the judges, bear a wary eye. The only person we can be sure is supervising the match is Osric, but depending on the number of performers available, judges and umpires can now spread out to observe the contest. This is finally ready to begin, but we'll have to leave off here and save the fight itself for the next episode. Thank you, as always, for your company, and do be sure to visit the show notes that accompany this episode at thehamletpodcast.com. I'll put up a little more about the rules of fencing there, and also give you a link for you to read Thomas Kidd's play. I hope you're very well, and enjoying these last episodes as we approach the inevitable end. Take care, and I'll speak to you next time.